Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm pretty swell. I was just uh, explaining. You're swell. I'm swell. I You're am. swell. <laughs> Love that wow, <laughs> that's a cool word. That's an American word from like the 1950s. Is it? I think we should bring it back. I, I use it all the time. If people ask me how I'm going, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty swell. How are you? Like, <laughs> it's just. It's okay, just, so Minnie has brought it back. We just need to yeah, adopt. We just, we just need, need to, to adopt. Yeah, yeah. We just need to, to, uh, to, to take it off. I'll be the one who said, you know, how it's actually really the second person who uses it that makes it take us off. Yes. Like the first so, person introduces it, and then you need someone else to pick it up, and then it'll go. All right. So, so here in the need- here in the studio, Liam and I are going to start. <laughs> so we, we, our, our, our job is to use swell for the next couple of days. Oh, and, I and then we'll see. And then we'll see if it takes off. We'll see if it takes off. The other word I like is nifty. Oh, oh yeah, nifty. Nifty hasn't really gone away. And it's still really. Around. Yeah. Everyone tells me I'm an old person for using it. I'm like, oh, that was nifty. No, <laughs> I'm not an old person. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling this morning, Lyle? Yeah, I'm feeling uh, I'm, I'm feeling chipper. Oh, that's it. <laughs> chipper. That's the way. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, hey, the sun is shining, the air is clean, the world is good, Jesus rules in heaven, mm. rules on earth, rules in my heart. What more could you ask for? Well, that's a pretty great place to start the day, to be honest. It is a great yeah. place to start yeah, the day. You can't complain about that, can you? No. What are you thankful for? Oh, so many things. People time, basically. I was explaining to these guys before we went on air that our small group normally meets tonight on Thursday, but we decided after church camp on the weekend. We spent a whole weekend together. We needed more time. So we got together last night to brought picnic dinner, watch the sunset, hung out. I love people time. <laughs> <laughs> Just reveling in it. Uh, that's fantastic. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. This is it's a side time. note. It's a book called The Faith of Desmond Doss. Um, I have not read this. I know the story. It's an amazing story. It is. Um, I don't actually know what he was doing before he went in the army, but he basically what, what's that conscientious objector? Was conscientious objector. Yeah. So signed up to go to non-combatant, war with his, non-combatant, yes, conscientious objector. Yeah. So he goes into war with basically just his Bible and prayer and. Yeah, just amazing story about. Look, just call in, get the answer. You can read it for yourself. That's right. My problem absolutely. is, I give too many spoilers. I love spoilers, and some people are like, dude, just let people find out for themselves. <laughs> anyway, it's a great story. It is a great story. I know about this one. Yeah, we. Uh, my wife had a bit of a chat with Mel Gibson about this movie while oh. he was making it. Yeah. How did that come about? Well, I was a bit of a long story because um, I was contacted because I collect antiquarian books and they were looking for a Bible of a particular era oh. to be on the set for uh, Desmond Doss's mother. Right. And somehow or other they found out that um, I, yeah. I had uh, a book collection and so they, I was asked. Did you have one? I had a Bible that was, it was a little bit late. It was actually my mother's Bible. Mm-hmm. And so it was from the 1950s. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't 1940s, but it was the same edition, you know, that had been published all through those years. So it would have actually worked. Um, they ended up collecting about six Bibles and then never using the scene anyway. Oh, if you're wondering what we're talking about, what is it called? Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. Movie, that's right. Based on this 
guy's life. And what's interesting is that Mel Gibson, we were just chatting about this a moment ago, Mel Gibson left, left a bunch of scenes out of that. The people that read the book were kind of upset with the movie mm. because, like, why did you leave this stuff out? And he stated, and I think it was a fair call, that if he had put them in, it would have detracted from the movie by making it too unbelievable. Isn't that interesting that a true story with just amazing things all through it, just that is unbelievable. Yes. You can't really tell. Because it's too unbelievable. Because it's too un- no one would actually know, no one would take it seriously if you actually put it in there. Yeah, and I think that there can be something to do actually with war stories about that as well. I was listening to a podcast the other day; it's a history one, and they were just mentioning how when when soldiers came back, what had been displayed to the public of what war had been like was to kind of um, not trigger the soldiers. But actually it made it harder because then the soldiers were like, well, you don't even know how it was. Yeah, you've got no idea. Yeah, And it was just an interesting thing for me to be like, yeah, that the real is more unbelievable. Yeah, than Yeah, and more horrific. made up story. And more horrific. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, it kind of gets sanitised by the time it comes back to uh, our side of um, what's actually taking place. Anyway, let's have some positively different news. Okay, so I found this really interesting. So there is an agricultural tech startup company. It's called Plenty. Um, and basically it's it's a vertical farm. It's an indoor vertical farm. It's only a two-acre plot. But because it's vertical, I don't really know what that means, except that it's all up and down instead of on the floor. Yep. Um, it yields what a 720-acre flat farm would usually use. This is an indoor farm? Yeah. Yes. And whereabouts is it? Yeah, um, I don't know. Is it, is it, is it, this, these are very popular in Dubai, I know that. Yeah, well, apparently they're getting more and more just yes. globally around the world. Yes. Um, yeah, but so, and it also uses 95% less water. I find this really interesting. Yeah, because all the water is just recycled. Mm-hmm, exactly. So the water goes into the plants, yeah. comes out of the plants. Goes back. Goes back into the plants because it it's all plant. inside. Uh-huh. The uh-huh. water never goes anywhere. Yeah. It just goes. doesn't get lost. just keeps going through the plants. Yeah. Um, and basically, it uses robotics and artificial intelligence to ensure perfect plants year-round. Now, part of me is like, this is so cool. Yes. The other part of me is like, hmm, but God designed things for a reason. Even though we're in a world of sin, I'm like, you know, I'm a little bit of a skeptic, Lyle. Part of me is like, <laughs> so cool. Ooh, but let's just have a think about it. I really <laughs> like my plants to grow in dirt, right? Yes. Outside in the sunshine. Yes. And the rain and the thunderstorms well, exactly. and the bugs. Yes, as much as they're annoying, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's well, right. Because I think too, like I'm a bit of a believer, well, for the food we eat particularly, we've, be, we've got as a society on this whole like, oh, we've got to eat our nutrients, right? We've got to eat our carbs, our protein. Our and I was like, what if it was designed that the whole food is all that we need? Like, Well, actually you know it is designed that way. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually how it is designed. And I, no, but I do concur that like we're at a time in life where you know maybe soil isn't as rich. You're not, yes. you know. The, so I understand that, but I just I get a bit cautious when we start going. <laughs> we can make the perfect things because we know what we need. I'm like, well, do you? Okay, but here's the thing: you're, you're living in Dubai, right? There's no rain. Yeah. Uh, There's no water at all. No. Oh, amazing. Very little. Very little. Um, I had a friend who was um, living in Oman, which is not far away from Dubai, and it rained one time. Mm. It was the first time it had rained in seven years and all the kids were just freaking out and losing their minds and terrified. They'd never seen rain before. That's they didn't know what was going on. It was just um, bending their minds. But, yeah, you, you don't have rain. So you don't have – you have very little water. You have very little rain. Mm. You can't do agriculture. You're living in a desert. You've got bucket loads of money. How do you feed, you know, an enormous city like that? Well, you know, ideally 
you would bring water from somewhere and grow food in the desert. But mm. that's an ideal world and in a less than ideal world, you then find other options. You find other options yeah. and this is the next best option right here. And that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I respect that. And anyway, so that's what these guys are doing and they're, they're making non-GMO crops um, without pesticides or herbicides. As you said, water's recycled, plants yeah. See, this is what I this is what I, I do like because a lot of our a lot of our plants these days get smashed. Uh, have been smashed with every pesticide herbicide. Mm. They have all kinds of weird hybrids. They're all genetically modified so that you can smash them with more pesticides and herbicides mm. so that you can get a yield. Whereas these indoor ones, you can actually grow normal plants. Yeah, that's true, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I don't think it's horrific. I you know I just have. <laughs> I, I actually like it better mm-hmm. than. GMO pesticide herbicide crops. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Anyway. No, no, no. I, I don't disagree. I yeah. find it interesting. Um, oh, look, I've got 30 seconds. Let's see what I can do. Okay, so Joshua oh, Hutagalung. Yep, that'll 30, take you 30 seconds to pronounce that name. Yep. He is a 33-year-old coffin maker uh, in Indonesia, and he was at his day job when a smoking meteorite hurtled through his veranda and into the earth next to his living room floor. Um, news of the event streamed in, and basically he got a whole bunch of offers to buy it. He hasn't said how much. Some people think it's in the certain amount of millions. And he wants to build a church in his community with the money that he's got. Ah, that's epic. Go him. Uh, good to see somebody doing... Something good with a windfall or a spaceful. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so Russia is looking at vaccinating, mm-hmm. compulsory vaccinations of all of their mink herds. I don't even know what that is. Uh, as like a weasel. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, like a stoat, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One of that kind of family. Um, so this is after... Norway just euthanized 17 million mink. No, it's not 17, not 17 million, 17. So, so, so 17 million mink two weeks ago. That's a lot of mink. That's so, why? What? Uh, because of COVID. They all caught COVID. <gasps> so they've got this uh, mutation of COVID that went from humans to mink and then came back to humans from the mink again. So it's oh. mutated and mutated again. And uh, so they've, um, yeah, so Russia's like, what do we do to save our mink industry? And so they're like, well, maybe we vaccinate them all. They've vaccinated so far 40 cats and 40 dogs to uh, give this thing a trial and see if it works. Oh, oh, my brain is just... <laughs> I didn't actually know that fur was still a thing because mink, obviously, they're, they're, they're oh, farmed for their fur. fur. I didn't think people wore fur, fur anymore. Wait, wait, wait. So we're going to keep these things alive to kill them for their fur. Is that what you're telling uh-huh. me? Oh, no. Oh, I don't know about this. What? Oh, I'm sorry, little minx. I don't even like killing mice. Uh, there's, so, probably, there's probably a few people out there that are disagreeing with you right yeah, now on yeah, mice, but you know, minx are kind of cute. So how many minx would be in the Russian? Like, obviously, I don't know. Okay, okay. I, didn't, I don't know anyone. I haven't seen anyone wear fur for like ever. It's like you wear fur and everyone looks down and you're like, what kind of like a sicko are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I, it's been like that for like at least 20 years, hasn't it? I guess, though. I mean, not that I've been there. I would love there's to obviously there. some cultures where they still wear fur. And... I guess in that part of the world, it is a lot colder still. Oh, this is very true. So there's probably more reason to wear it there than here. Probably, probably. Anyway, I did promise that I would talk about mould. You did. 
So this is a story coming out of Perth, and it's a story just of one person, but it's probably something that affects a whole lot of people. Um, so this is Robin Cairns. She has uh, two kids, and she is uh, – someone just got the answer for bragging rights, by the way, for the quick quiz. Oh, go mm-hmm. you. Yep. Uh, came in via the text message. Um, okay, so uh, Robin Cairns, she has two kids, and she's living in a caravan in her front yard of her house because she can't live in her house. Because of all the mould? So her house got mould in it. It got a bit of a mould smell happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, She couldn't find where the mould was, couldn't see the mould anywhere, but she could smell it. And uh, her and her family started to get rashes. They started to get joint pain, headaches, chronic fatigue. Um, At various times, all three of them were hospitalised for what was going on. And, of course, as soon as they moved out of the house, all the symptoms vanished. And so they're like, okay, what's going on here? They contacted the builder of the house. Uh, the builder of the house came by and uh, that, that company had actually gone broke and there's probably a few reasons why it had gone broke. They hadn't put proper mm. um, proper um, water um, membranes you know, underneath the slab or underneath the bathroom or anywhere like that. They found mould and so the company that had bought the company out that had gone broke, they did some uh, remedial work there, didn't really fix it and so the mould kept coming back. Um, they got uh, a $14,000 payout for expenses from the company that had bought out the company that had gone broke. Not done as well, yeah. And that, of course, doesn't cover anything like the $150,000 that they've spent for rentals in the years afterwards to try and have to live somewhere else. And so now they've been reduced to living in a caravan in their front yard. Ooh. Recently pulled up the bathtub and it was com- there's photos of it just completely black with mould underneath. Ooh. Oh, yuck. Yeah. You know, and the problem with mold too is I remember meeting a guy that he had had it just in his wall, like in his office at work, uh-huh. and he was getting, like you said, really, really sick, and he didn't know why. But the problem was, it got—I didn't know this could happen—that he got like mold spores, like in his in his lungs, in and his then it starts lungs. to grow in your lungs. Yeah, and so then he had this whole problem. There was a whole bunch of stuff he couldn't eat because it would set him off, and hey, they didn't really know how to treat it. I was like, that sounds horrific. Yes. Like I don't even know what you do for that. Yes. Yuck. So mould is one of those insidious things that it actually exists in a lot of houses mm. and particularly older homes you can walk in and you can see it sort of up in the corners of the room, on the roof, that kind of thing. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, oh, sort of don't take any notice of it, they get used to it, but it lives there and it does affect your health. It's a nasty, nasty thing. What's interesting is that a very, very long time ago, you know, because it's only been in recent years that we've actually even taken much notice of it. Yeah. You know, and you can get exit mould and all these kind of products for getting rid of the stuff. Uh, but it's only been in recent years that we've started taking notice of it and started taking notice of how badly it can affect a person's health. You know, for thousands of years it's just been ignored. Except in the Old Testament. Ah, the Bible says there are 16 verses. There's a 16-verse passage yeah. in the Old Testament mm. going back 3,500 years mm-hmm. to the time of Moses when God spoke about mould and God had some stuff to say about mould and a lot of people said, oh, you know, that's just the ceremonial law. We don't need to worry about it. No, it's not the ceremonial law. This is the health laws. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, okay, so in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 33, the Bible says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When you enter the land of Canaan, which I am giving you as your possession, and a spreading mildew appears in a house in that land, the owner of the house must go and tell the priest, I've seen something that looks like mildew in my house. The priest is to order the house to be emptied before he goes in to examine the mildew, so that nothing in the house will be pronounced unclean. After this, the priest is to go in and inspect the house. 
He, ex- he is to examine the mildew on the walls, and if it is greenish or reddish, uh, depressions that appear to be deeper than the surface of the wall, the priest shall go out the doorway of the house and close it up for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall return to inspect the house. If the mildew has spread, he is to order that the contaminated stones be torn out and thrown into an unclean place outside the town. This is pretty full-on stuff. Mm. He must have all the inside walls of the house scraped and the material that is scraped off dumped into an unclean place outside the town. Then they are to take other stones to replace those and take new clay and plaster the house. Mm. This is pretty... It's pretty significant what's being asked of them. Well, basically, what's being asked of them is exactly what this woman is asking of the builders. Yes. Come in, tear out the parts that are mouldy, replace the bathrooms and, you know, replace the slab if you need to. Mm. You know, tear the house down and fix it because you need to fix it. Anyway, listen to this. It goes on. It says, if the mildew reappears in the house after the stones have been torn out and the house scraped and plastered, the priest is to go in and examine it. And if the mildew has spread in the house, it is a destructive mildew. The house is unclean. It must be torn down. Its stones, timbers and all the plaster taken out of the town to an unclean place. Mm And anyone who goes into the house while it's closed up will be unclean until evening. Anyone who sleeps or eats in the house must wash his clothes. This is, this is health information mm-hmm. that is three and a half thousand years old and it's exactly what we tell people to do today. 100%, hey. Yeah, mm. because a lot of people say, oh, you know, we spray it with exit mould and that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay, it, it's, it can, you know, be a good product. Mm. It can stop it spreading as well, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But really you need to find the source of it and get rid of the source of it. And this is what God is saying. Of course, they didn't have chemicals back then. And God's like, okay, if you can't get rid of it after a couple of tries, tear the house down. Yeah. And it makes so much sense to me because it is yuck. <laughs> and when you look at you know this uh, lady in Western Australia in Perth, yeah. because her slab has been incorrectly poured, they're probably going to have to tear the house down. Mm-hmm. And the company really needs to tear the house down and build a new house there. It's as simple yeah, as that. Yeah, don't they're even just, try to take out parts. You, you can't fix it. it. You can, yeah. it's, it's, it's unfixable and mm. it's a death house. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just amazing. It blows my mind every time I read the Bible and um, and, and just see how, the, uh, uh, how accurate the Bible is and, mm. you know, to know this kind of thing, you know, back in the day when you know they were more, you know, you look at the health information that say the Egyptians had, and it's like, yeah, take two dung beetles, and <laughs> you know, it's just like whatever. Mm. Um, whereas all of the health information in the Bible has been one hundred percent scientifically proven in the modern era. Yeah. Across the board, and there's so much of it. It is so valuable. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Joining us in the studio this morning is Jody Bird. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, Jody, you have a, um, a broad and varied job description here in our office. So, for those of you who might not realise it, Jody actually works right here in the office block where we're working, and you're in charge of, I guess. Um, yeah, all kinds of different things, but health and safety, that kind of stuff. That's right. Yes, that's right. That's that's my passion. Okay. Now, you have been recently running this program for our office staff and also for our field staff on mental health 
First aid. Now, I've heard about first aid courses. I've done first aid courses. I've done, you know, learned how to do CPR and to bind up wounds and, you know, stop people from bleeding to death, all that kind of thing. Uh, But this one is mental health first aid. How important is this? Do we really need to have a mental health first aid course? And how does it rank in comparison to, say, a normal first aid course? Well, that's interesting that you actually asked that question, Lyle, because that's where it all came from. Um, with the increasing of mental health uh, concerns in our society, the uh, the founders of Mental Health First Aid Australia uh, got together and actually modelled the Mental Health First Aid course and training on the physical first aid model. Okay. So you actually work through an action plan just like you do in first aid. Right. So in uh, if I find somebody, you know, who is... Uh, say, you know, unresponsive in a swimming pool, I know how to pull them out, put them in a recovery position, clear their airways, you know, listen for heartbeat, listen for breathing, all that kind of stuff, begin CPR. So this is a program that is like, okay, if you find a person who is in this kind of a situation, this is what you actually do. Yeah, so somebody that is experiencing a mental health first aid, um, perhaps crisis or a worsening effects of an existing mental health uh, concern, you can work through the action plan on, um, on talking to them. It's not about diagnosis, just like it's not with uh, physical first aid. It's about working through the action plan and getting them um, the possible help and, and required um, professional help that's available to them. Okay, so just as in the case of, you know, I drag somebody out of the swimming pool, I'm not the be-all and the end-all of uh, the care that they're going to receive. While I'm doing CPR, somebody else is calling the ambulance and then we hand it over to the experts. What you're saying is that mental health first aid is much the same. We are just taking care of the person until the experts can take over. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And in, in the case of a crisis, but... If somebody's just experiencing a, um, a, the beginning effects of a, a mental health concern or um, experiencing a worsening effect of an existing condition, um, yeah, perhaps um, getting them the, the, the help that they need to, to get the healing and the, the, the recovery that's, that, is, that is possible. Now, with, um, with with your standard first aid course, you're mostly dealing with trauma and traumatic injuries, that kind of thing. Um, do we have any information comparing people who die from traumatic injury, injuries compared to people who die from mental um, illnesses, mental health illnesses? I mean, I guess a lot of them, you know, take their own lives, which creates traumatic injuries. But um, do we have, you know, like say car accidents versus mental health problems? Yeah, we do go through some of the data that's actually available to us. Um, yeah, that's it's, it's, it's an extensive part of the actual training. Um, and yeah. So which one is more... So for our listener out there, if they had the choice of be choosing between one or the other, which one would you say was the most important? Mental health first aid or, the, uh, or your standard first aid? Oh, I can't choose. <laughs> As I have both and I'm interested in both, I, I really can't choose. That's would like, you say that's that like are... asking which child's your favourite. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong question to ask. <laughs> you failed simply by asking the question. Um, would you say that they are equally important? I would absolutely say that they're equally important. And the people that I have trained in mental health first aid uh, that also have their standard physical first aid uh, training 
really uh, have a, a very good grasp on the training because they have that um, experience already. Um, not to say that if you don't have physical first aid training that you won't get the material, but um, they do work nicely together. Sure. Now, with the physical first aid, uh, pretty much anywhere in Australia, if I want to do a course, if I want to get my certification uh, up to scratch, I can jump on Google. Someone someone somewhere will be running a course somewhere in the next few months. Mm-hmm. How available are the mental health first aid courses and how long have they been around for? Well, mental health first aid... Australia began in 2000, um, so they've been around for quite some time now. Uh, but if you are seeking to um, find some training, if you get on the Mental Health First Aid Australia website and click on the training button, there will be all of the, the different regions and states that are running any training, and you can sign up online there for it. Uh, yeah, at this stage... Um, North New South Wales Conference is focusing on um, our pastoral staff, our field staff, um, and um, yeah, there's there's hopes that in the future we might be able to run workshops for our church members and um, and, and community members that want to get involved. That would be absolutely fantastic, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, you, um, I, I noticed that you know here in the here in the office uh, a couple of months ago there was some. Um, some posters that went up on the back of the toilet doors. Are you okay? <laughs> we've, we've heard this are you okay mantra for a fair while and it's a fantastic little phrase to remind us to actually ask people, are you okay? When it comes to are you okay, is that really the be-all and the end-all of what we need to be doing for people that we suspect might not be okay? No, it's really not. Asking the question, are you okay, is a great thing to do, but there's more to ask. We have to come back. Um, asking a question is not caring. Okay. Oh, really? Oh, big statement. Oh, big statement. <laughs> big statement right there. Caring comes from continuing on with with a, with a conversation and right. checking in and um, developing a relationship. So if I ask somebody, are you okay, and they say yes, should I always assume that they told me the truth? Oh, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of thinking that there's been plenty of times when I have not been okay yeah. and somebody has said, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm yeah. great. I, you know, think, particularly us guys. Think about... We think, never get sick. Oh, that's right. That's right. You think about how often um, somebody says to you, hey, how, hi, how are you? And you go, yeah, I'm okay. Every you time. Know, every time you go it's through a, a, pro- a shopping we, we centre register. programmed to give that answer since we learned to speak. Pretty much. Pretty much. So I think that, um, that is, we have to recognise that is a programmed response and coming back and saying, look, I know that this happened recently, that you had this experience. Uh, I just want just to come back and say, are you still doing okay? Um, it shows love. It shows, shows caring. And, and, and ultimately, that's what, that's what Jesus calls for us to do is is love each other um and um yeah i'd really like to encourage people to ask the question are you okay but don't accept that yes could be the final answer sure sometimes there might be opportunity to like dig a little bit deeper yeah. and particularly if you know some circumstances that might be going on in the background exactly so jody you've been doing these training programs uh, for field ministers within the adventist church uh, here in the North New South Wales region. Is this something that other churches are doing as well, other faith groups? 
or is this kind of unique to us? Did you have- Look, I really don't know, to okay. be honest. Oh, it's pretty I, exciting that we get to do it. I, I am very excited that we have, um, we've been blessed to uh, have the opportunity to, to reach out and do this training. Um, I don't know about other faith communities, but I do know that other conferences within our denomination are certainly interested in... We like uh, to have a little bit of a brag here whenever we can. We <laughs> <laughs> I do know that other conferences are interested in me, me facilitating the training in, at future dates. Um, oh, so you're the, you're the go-to person for around Australia at the moment. Not around Australia, but within the Adventist church, I believe so, yes. That's pretty that's, exciting. That's, that's, um, I don't like that boast. <laughs> <laughs> Jody, Jody is the person. She is the go-to person. I, I really don't. I couldn't, I couldn't say for... We don't have a register available to us of who is sure. actually available to facilitate the course. Um, but um, within the North New South Wales Conference, I'm very proud to be able to, um, to present this, um, this information and yes. this, this really incredible um, training to frontline workers that deal on the ground every day with community members suffering and, um, and trying to recover and deal with mental health concerns. And I think this is really important because ministers are often or even typically for somebody who is a person of faith, their first stop when they're dealing with mental health issues. You are correct. And as ministers, we are not mental health professionals. Um, sometimes, you know, I mean, some ministers are. They get that extra training, that additional training, and that's fantastic, that's great. But, you know, somebody like myself, I don't have that additional training. And so to be able to provide some first aid so that we can get them to a professional is a really valuable thing. Now, uh, we were mentioning a moment ago that um, that you're the go-to person around here, which is pretty cool. At the same time, it sort of it, it kind of worries me a little bit because I'm thinking there is a huge need for this. You know, there is we could wouldn't it be great if we could have these kinds of programs being run for the community right across our region. Uh, we've got we've got one person doing the training right now. There should be a whole lot more than that. So well, there are other other people, just not of our, you know, from a denominational sure, point sure. of view. So yes. yeah, jump jump on Mental Health First Aid Australia website, and you can type in your region, your state, and um, and find public courses that are available. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, this is something. Okay, so if somebody wanted to become. Uh, a facilitator, somebody like yourself that actually does training in mental health first aid, how much is involved in that? Um, so again, get yes. on the website. Get on the you website, can, I'll you tell can, you all about it. Yeah, you can find the, the facilitators' uh, courses and when they're being run. So you um, would have done one of these courses that's, yourself? That's right. And Goes for it what, a will, couple of days or a couple of weeks? It or? will cost you a week of your life. A week? A week of your life. A week of your life and how much of your cash? Uh, whatever, I, whatever, it's, whatever what, the latest is, whatever, the, whatever the facilitator of the training is asking for, right? Yeah. Okay, that's a fairly significant. A week of your life is a fairly significant course. Okay, so the facilitator training runs for one week. Now, not everybody's going to be able to do that. That's a that's a week out of your life. That's so that you can then go and train other people in mental health first that's aid. Right. But the actual first aid course itself. Like if I want to go and do a course, in fact, Jody, I've booked in for one of your courses right. next year. Um, super looking forward to it. Um, how much time is that going to take? Just the average person who wants to do the course and be qualified in mental health first aid. Yeah, that's a great question, Lyle. Um, so 
the, the training itself is actually 12 hours long. Um, so it depends on the way that the facilitator is going to run that. It's often run in two sessions of six hours. Uh, I have just yesterday finished a, 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 um, a course of four sessions of three hours because it suited that particular group. Uh, so th- th- there are those options. It depends on how the facilitator chooses to run it, but uh, ultimately it's a 12-hour training. Fantastic. It's but it's one thing, something cool. that I'm just sort of sitting here thinking, you know, this is incredibly valuable to our community. It would be great for a lot of people to go out there and to get this training and to start running them in the community. I actually think that in, you know, in my life, I definitely come across vastly more people that I can help with mental health first aid than I've ever been able to help with my physical first aid course. Mm. You know, my physical first aid course, you know, I've sort of, I guess, applied pressure to a couple of wounds maybe in the last 35 years. Whereas when it comes to mental health, I know that in ministry, that's actually something that I deal with on a very, very regular basis, a surprisingly regular basis. I finished a course just yesterday and um, in a debrief with one of the pastors that was in the training, um, he actually said to me that um, I look back on my ministry and think, oh, yes, that moment there and that moment there, they were moments where I was dealing with possible psychosis. And if I'd had that training five, ten years ago, I would have been able to have dealt with that better. Um, So... Yeah, that to me is a great affirmation that the training is um, is relevant and, um, and and pertinent to ministry today. Yes, yeah. definitely. All right, Jody, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning to Thanks talk about mental me. health first aid. Um, I would encourage all of our listeners, if you get the opportunity to uh, take one of these courses, do so. And if you're the kind of person who can facilitate, we need more people in our community community that can actually run these programs for the community and train people in these incredibly important skills. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.